0: Alyssa Taylor joins the podcast today. Alyssa Taylor is a corporate vice president for Microsoft's industry applications and data marketing team. Leading three teams at Microsoft, directly empowering global organizations and partners, the Business Applications Product Marketing Organization, the Data and Artificial Intelligence Product Marketing Organization, and the Industry Marketing Organization. But in addition to that, Alyssa is a people impact leader known for her authenticity, her self-care principles, and also embracing diversity and inclusion in the workplace. I've had the opportunity to listen to multiple of Alyssa's talks around her personal philosophy and her leadership journey, which is one of the reasons I'm asked her to come on today, to spend some time with me, to talk to me a little bit about her leadership journey, talk to us about some of the lessons that she's learned along the way, and also the pieces of advice that she has to share for up and coming leaders. So without further ado, Alyssa, thank you so much for taking the time to be here.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you today.
0: (laughs) Of course, you know, leadership podcast, I, I always love to highlight key components of leadership for the audience on things that they can learn from and walk away with, you know, to hone in on their craft. But of course, leadership more often than not, always has this entire backstory and journey behind it just in terms of, you know, in our professional worlds, in our technology worlds, just in terms of how it all started and and how we got to some of the roles that we've been in. You've had a tremendous journey. You know, you've been at Microsoft for such a long time. Mm -hmm. In my introduction there as well, you know, I talked a little bit about the global responsibility that you have for multiple different business units, large amounts of people, customers, partners. I'm very curious about how it all started. Talk to me a little bit about the first job prior to you coming to Microsoft and how it all transitioned into the role that you're in today. Uh,
1: happy to do that. I have um, what I would call probably an um, unconventional background with some twists and turns along the way. But uh, I actually I started my career, uh, believe it or not, in graphic design. So I, I left college, um, I had a journalism degree, a degree in architecture and a degree in business. And out of those three, that combo, I decided I really wanted to do design. And so I had interned at an advertising agency, um, took a full-time job uh, once I graduated. And it became clear that while I have such a passion for design and it's something, you know, has kind of stayed with me through the years, my ability to get what is in my head into a CAD drawing was never that successful. And uh, and so the agency that I worked for, which I just adore um, and they were so supportive, sort of said, hey, you, you might be a touch better on the account side than you are on the creative side. And so I moved over to be an account manager, did that for a number of years, loved it. I worked um, for uh, B2B um, healthcare, uh, which was a set of clients that we worked with in that division. And then went on from that to uh, management consulting um, and kind of kept that vein of healthcare. Um, So moved to the Pacific Northwest and worked for a consulting firm here and managed some of the largest um, engagements we had with uh, clients here in the Pacific Northwest. And after about 10 years of being on the services side, what I realized and what I craved was that I wanted to be able to see things through. So both in the ad agency world and in management consulting, you take it only so far and then you move on to the next project. And I wanted to know what worked and you know, what actually didn't work and be able to learn from that. And so I made the decision to come to Microsoft and it was through a network of friends and I joined as the global communications manager for something called the Microsoft Java Virtual Machine Transition, which at the time, which was 17 years ago, which is crazy, uh, was a piece of embedded software that we licensed from Sun Microsystems. And this was right in the sort of, you know, the um, quote unquote holy wars of Java versus .NET. We had just launched .NET. We were making a big bet as a company on managed code. And it was the Java versus .NET battle. And so we couldn't possibly license this technology, which was a Java-based set of technology. And so my job was to run the global communications as we transitioned all of these applications off of that embedded software. And about two months in, so I made this massive career move, I've come over onto the client side, and about two months in, we realized that transitioning off meant breaking every web application on the planet. And there was no, you know, being able to transition it would cost trillions of dollars and customer pain. And and so we decided to settle with Sun Microsystems. So we basically paid a settlement to Sun Microsystems to make the problem go away. And there was this giant V team working it and they all disbanded and high-fived and off they went. And I was one of the very few that was a full-time dedicated person on this. And so I'll never forget. It was if you know, if your uh, viewers have seen, there's a movie called Office Space, and there's a gentleman that's sort of left in the basement with his stapler. Like that was me. I was sort of like left with my stapler. Like, what um, I? You know, so I met with HR, and they said, "Well, you have a certain number of months to find a new job." And I was like, "Oh, okay." And so a gentleman that I worked with, um, who was leading this big uh, project he worked in the developer tools division. And he said, hey, I have a job running um, our channel, doing channel marketing for developer tools. And I was like, great. I don't know what a developer tool is. I don't know what a channel is, but let's give it a go. And so I interviewed. To this day, it's still a running joke of I have no idea how I got hired, but I did. And I don't think I talked for the first month. i literally, I'd go into these meetings and I was like, people are speaking you know, Greek. I had no idea what anyone was saying. And you know, I finally figured it out, and and I I came to really love the space. There's such um, such art in development. So the art and science of you know working with developers um, was just incredible. And the you know, like I said, it was a very dynamic space. And you know, we were just launching .NET, and Visual Studio was just sort of taking off as a part of the Pro- Microsoft product portfolio. And so I ended up staying in our developer division, which started being called DPE and then moved to, it was actually NPETS when I started, and then it was DPE, and then it became Developer Experiences, but I was in that division for eight years. And I did everything under the sun. I started our very first ISV team. I ended up actually running the product marketing team for Visual Studio. I did MSDN and TechNet audience marketing, so all of our developer and IT pro marketing. And then my last role was actually running the MO division for the U.S. Um, for uh, DX at the time, which was just phenomenal. It was like an HQ function. Uh, so I did that for a number of years. And at the time, Jensen Althoff was running the U.S. sub and um, asked if I would move over to be the uh, business group lead for cloud and enterprise. And it was right when we were making a shift to Azure and so i i did that after much deliberation i said okay and came over to take that job and it was just it was so fun because um the problem that we had in hand was to mainstream azure and at the time we were an office and windows company and we sold on sockets and i remember talking to people in the u.s about you know platform sales and azure and they're like that's a developer thing like go away it was a, our target that year was $138 million. I'll never forget this. We had never made budget ever. It was like constantly red. And as you know, for in a subsidiary, you know, this like red on a scorecard is a very bad thing. So it was like this persistent red. And, um, and so we, we would do these pizza nights with Judson, they were strategy sessions, and there would be a bunch of us that would get in a room and we would drink beer and eat pizza, and try and figure out how to shift the 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 US subsidiary from socket selling to platform selling. And it was just this incredible two years and we took it from 138 million to 2 billion in revenue. Um, So the trajectory was just insane and really sort of changed how we thought about, you know, we thought about um, high potential accounts and we thought about, you know, projects and we thought about the ISB ecosystem in a completely new way. And so it was phenomenal. and I was two and a half years in, and Takeshi called and said, "Hey, I want you to do what you did with Azure for uh, Dynamics." Uh, it was the, the Dynamics was effectively a wholly owned um, subsidiary, so uh, there was an engineering lead that ran everything from sales and marketing and engineering and service. And Satya used to uh, run Dynamics, and so his, you know, his vision was to have a Microsoft cloud. You had to have the business application layer, and so they had taken the decision. To break apart this sort of, you know, unit and quote unquote mainstream it. So put sales and sales, put marketing and marketing, obviously engineering and engineering, and you know all of the functional alignment. And so I came over uh, four and four and a half years ago uh, to run, and it was one of these things I actually I'll never forget. Um, I was t- Chris Weber was my mentor, and I told him and I said, you know, I'm going to go run business applications, and I'm really excited about. It. And he was like. Like, what, what are you, why would you do that? And I was like, oh, well, I think it's, you know, you know, it was a very funny dialogue. And um, But it was a huge challenge. And it's just, you know, so we you know, kind of came in and there was none of the sort of marketing foundational pieces. We didn't have partner programs. We didn't have incentives for our partners. We didn't have sales plays. We didn't have basic sort of marketing demand generation lined up. We had all these crazy skews that... Um, didn't re- weren't very customer centric, um, and so you know we started on this journey of you know accelerating dynamics, and um, it's it's phenomenal. Like if you see the results that we posted last quarter, um, you know we are growing almost 50 percent, and you know we're a multi billion dollar business now, um, which you that's know well, and it's you know incredible space. Um, and so that's you know sort of my journey on business applications, and then about a. Year and a half in, we decided to uh, really consolidate industry, um, similar kind of thing, you know, take it out of kind of all of the different pieces around the company and, you know, make a, a global industry sales team under Dev Cup at the time, um, put marketing under uh, product marketing under me. Um, and so we sort of said, all right, now we're going to make industry real. And we created the industry clouds, which was just, you know, it's been a phenomenal adventure and learning. And I think just great reception from the marketplace. And then about three months ago, we thought about the stack and sort of said, if, if all of what we're doing starts from data, um, and you, you know, the world sort of now ingests data and apps are in service of the data and we go to market by industry, you know, we should have these functions together. And so we put, uh, data and AI came into the portfolio. And so now we are industry apps and data. And, uh, and that's where we are today.
0: that's incredible what an incredible journey thank you so much for for sharing that you know a key thing that I take away there just in terms of your personality and some of the attributes that you display along that journey is is your ability to take on all these challenges and you know also you know put yourself in an uncomfortable position to take on new business roles even though you don't really understand the full context of the role take it on figure it out and you know continue to to plug forward I got two questions for you just purely based on that Question question number one Where does that come from? Like what drives you towards taking on challenging positions or putting yourself in an uncomfortable position for you to continue to plug forward and be successful with that? The second thing is, uh, how much of of those roles do you feel like you really draw forward for because of your passion for doing things and putting yourself in the uncomfortable zone uh, versus you having to do specific things to stand out in your career for you to be recognized to take on some of these senior roles?
1: Those are both great questions. I would say two things on the first, which is I, I you come to know, you know, as you grow in your career, you know attributes about yourself. Like you sort of learn, I like creating things. Like I'm a builder by nature. If kind of harken back to the design side of it. Like this, you know, and my team knows this a lot. Like I'm in a constant state of remodel. It drives my husband baddie because I like building and creating things. So I think that's inherent in who I am and it translates into work. But I also think the years ago, I worked for an Australian man, and I'll never forget this. He pulled me into my office, and I was,
0: we were sort of debating on my
1: next role. And, um, and I, there were sort of two paths. I could take kind of more traditional path, working on the Windows server side or sort of stay and create this ISV team. And he, he said, you know, um, he said, if, you, know, you can edit me out if this is inappropriate, but this was his exact quote. He said, if you don't show up work to work every day, slightly scared shitless then you're in the wrong role. And I thought, huh, that, that's an interesting perspective. Like if you're not nervous, right? Like if you don't, if you're, then you're not being challenged. Um, and I've always held on to that. of like, you know, you don't want it to be, you don't wanna feel like you're gonna fail. You don't wanna feel like you're not prepared or have the capabilities or competency. But if there's sort of this nervousness of like, oh wow, like this is gonna stretch me. Um, and if you're not feeling that stretch, then that's always something I've held true to of like, whatever I take on next, do I feel stretched? Do I feel like I'm gonna learn new things? Or I feel slightly uncomfortable? Um, and so that was a great, you know, you started this with like, you know, what's the advice you get along the way? That's something that's always stuck with me. And you probably said it to me 12 years ago. Um, and I still sort of remember that as, you know, a moment in time where I'm like, that's a good, good way to think about, you know, when you're comfortable, you know, are you challenging and are you pushing yourself? Um, So that's, you know, on that place, and then to the point about, you know, did I do it to sort of be recognized, I actually, um, you know, I actually didn't, um, and I genuinely mean that. I do what I do because I love it, Um, and I stayed at Microsoft because I feel like I've had a number of very different career experiences, and I've loved each one, and I keep sort of saying each year gets better. I'm like, oh, I love this year even more, you know, I love this business, you know, even more, and um and so I, it was never with the intent you know and everyone's motivated differently but for me it's always been around do i feel challenged do i feel rewarded um and if i feel challenged and i feel rewarded that is a good marriage for me um and i actually i remember uh when i made corporate vice president i was driving my kids to school and it was seven in the morning, and Takeshi, who I work for, called, and he said, "Hey, I need to talk to you." And I said, oh, "Okay." I was like, "I got the, you know, the boys in the car, but sure, what's up?" And he said, "You know, Chris Capuzzo and I decided to make you corporate vice president." And I was so shocked, I almost drove off the road. Like it was not even on my radar. Like I was loving what I was doing. I loved the business. I loved the things that we were doing. That it just—it hadn't even occurred to me that that was. It wasn't something I was striving for, it was just, and so, you know, I think that's the perfect world of feeling challenged and feeling like you're, you know, being rewarded in the right ways.
0: Maybe you would have done this already, but if you haven't, uh, you know, maybe let's just assume for a second, if you would ask Chris, like, what drove him to make that call and make that announcement to you, what we say? Uh, well, I Well, I
1: actually don't know, I'd have to ask him that, but I, I hope. I hope he would say which is what we want of any of our you know our executives at the company um you know that you that you know the the that they embody the leadership principles um i work really hard and i don't always do it but i want to make sure that you know i create clarity for the teams that i work with that i generate energy that people feel excited to come to work every day um, and then we're driving business outcomes and i you know, those are things that, you know, I, I really hold true and I would hope that he would say I was demonstrating those three things.
0: I have no doubt. I have no doubt. You know, you, I love the piece of advice that you got there, by the way, in, your career, just in terms of, you know, being challenged and having the ability to put yourself in an uncomfortable position for you to grow as well. Right. Not just be stagnant and not just be unchallenged to a point, you know, on the topic of advice, you know, I always believe that a lot of. A lot of success more often than not, especially in leadership as well when you're making an impact comes from your personal attributes, your personal characteristics, some of the lessons you've learned along the way, and some of the things you've actually figured out as well just in terms of who you are as an individual, you know, from your graphic designing days, taking on uh, the M&OD, taking on communications roles, and just being able to transition along the way, right? But I'm sure throughout that journey, in addition to the advice you talked about, there must be some key components of advice that you've received. Some some coaches and mentors and leaders that you worked for that have helped you tailor that journey and continue to promote you on the successful path that you've been in. If I were to ask you, in addition to the one you described already, of course, yes. what is the one piece of advice that you've received uh, from a leader? Uh, what would you say it was? It
1: actually wasn't. Uh, she was a leader. She was. At a, she wasn't at Microsoft. It was a. Uh, I had the privilege of working with a. Um, coach as part of one of the Microsoft programs. And, um, you know, it wasn't one piece of advice. It was, you know, a little bit of over But I would say the most impactful thing and what she taught me was to be authentic, um, was to be an authentic leader. And, you know, as you can imagine, you know, being a, you know, blonde woman in the 2000s working in the developer space, like, there weren't a lot of us. Um, right. And, you know, I'd walk into these developer conferences and, you know, the, the needle on the record would sort of stop of like, what is this foreign entity that just came in here? And, you know, I, um, you know, I, you know, I taught myself to code and, and I, you know, like I said, I really sort of loved that space. Uh, but I always kind of felt like I was somewhat of an outsider um, in yes. that world. And, you know, as a result, you know, I think uh, human nature is to conform. And so, you know, my girlfriends called it the, like, bad sweater years. Like, I think I wore, you know, jeans and, like, baggy sweaters and, you know, just because I didn't want to stand out. And that's not who I am. I actually, you know, again, I have a design background and I love, you know, I, I, I love things that are, um, you know, that I feel good in as a person. And, uh, and so this coach, it sort of said, like, you know, and I was a young manager I was new to microsoft i was in a space and so you're you're you know again human nature is to sort of conform or to not you know sort of necessarily be yourself and i spent a lot of time working through with her of like i i believe very deeply that you are a better person at work if you are your authentic self versus pretending to be something else and um and you know the the story that I always tell is when I made when I started in business applications, I walked in. Scott Guthrie has these things called pillar reviews. So he takes a business unit with all the engineering leads and all the product marketing leads, and it's a two-hour uh, deep dive on the product and the business. And uh, this was back in the day of in-person events or you know, in-person meetings. And I walked in, and I was wearing these shoes that I think were just absolutely fabulous. They had uh, pink sparkles on them and so and i remember somebody looking down and being like bold like did you just walk into an engineering review with pink sparkles on her feet and i was like i did and it makes me happy um and so just those little things like that dear you know, it's to not try and hide who you are and to really embrace the gifts that you bring to bear um and i think being your authentic self and being an authentic leader is something i care very deeply about and that's something i talk about Quite often, because I think, you know, again, if I go back to it's human nature to try and conform or to act or talk or sound like, you know, the masses around you. Um, and that just, if we believe in being inclusive, we can't have that. We need everybody to be who they are and not feel like they have to say certain things or talk a certain way or look a certain way.
0: That's so important, right? And you know, that's one of the key attributes to you know getting the best performance out of people and building the best culture is just being able to embrace the diversity that we have of every individual that we collaborate and work with, but also create a platform for everybody to be authentic. And you know, purely by the fact that you're saying that and you're saying that with such conviction as well, you know, it just makes me feel so confident in the ability to be participating and, and working in a diverse culture. You've also done and are doing some really cool things in the organization just in terms of people impact you know i've had the opportunity to listen to multiple of your talks uh you know talking about some of the topics that you've just described there as well just in terms of being your authentic self uh you know talking a little bit about some of the advices that you've uh, received along the way and redistributing that sharing that with the organization as well just to ensure that everybody else is receiving the value also you did that you ran a cool initiative with uh, dr michael gervais maybe yeah. you can talk a little bit about that
1: yeah, absolutely. That um, that was great. So when uh, Johnson Altoff was running the U.S. USM, he brought in uh, Michael Drudge to help coach the US leadership to, to be a high performing team. It's so, a you know corporate athlete was sort of the term of like how do you how do you, how are you a high performing team and how do you sort of become a corporate athlete? And um, Mike, you know, Mike was phenomenal and just you know, really sort of bringing kind of tools that we could all use in our toolkit. And I actually think what you're saying about, you know, advice along the way and why I like doing these types of talks is you can take all of it, none of it, some of it. But I know like I can point to like what, you know, what the gentleman told me about, you know, sort of you know, feeling, you know, feeling stretched in jobs. There's leaders that I've known along the way that have given me advice that have really stuck with me. And so I think there's the advice that you get that sticks with you. And then there's tools that you have to make sure that you are building that sort of uh, leadership resiliency. And leaders come in all different forms, right? It's not, you know, this isn't because of the US leadership or you know Satya's leadership. It's we are all, we are all leaders. We're all working in very impactful big businesses uh, with very important roles, no matter what part of the company we're in. And so Mike Trebay was great. He, um, he he there's a couple things that I would say I took away. He had lots of concepts. And I remember t- saying to Mike, I was like, I was like I, I, I was like, I can't, I can't buy everything you're selling. Um, okay. you're selling a lot. You know, it was one of these things where it's like get eight hours of sleep, you know, drink 64 ounces of water, exercise every day, um, meditate you know, once a day. And I was like, I-, I can, I can get on board with a couple of those, but like, no way is all of that happening, <laughs> you know. So that's you just take. But you know, that thing like being present was a big thing that um, that he talked about, and being present is so important. Uh, you know, really being, you know, mindful of your, you know, who you're with, being present in that moment. It's something that you know I t- I bring in work, but at home, um, and just the beauty of you know exercising and you know staying hydrated. I don't sleep eight hours. This is not, I, I don't, but that, you know, for others like Amy Hood, will talk about like, she really, you know, kind of for her, the sleep part was really impactful for her. And so, you know, it's kind of knowing what do you need in your life um, that'll help you keep your energy up, stay optimistic, stay positive, um, and really, you know, be engaged in the life around you. And that's what he taught. And there was a whole bunch of different things uh that you know that he he talked about but i think that you know big things were the mindfulness and then just you know little changes in your life of you know recovery this notion of recovery like exercise is a form of recovery meditation is a form of recovery vacation is a form of recovery those things are really important you can't run 120 all the time it's just the human body's not designed to do that and it's it's not good for you your body it's not good for your mind and so how do you rest and recover um and those were really those are things that you know that was six years ago i think we did that work and it's still something that you know every day i practice some of that you know some of those those aspects of the building a high performing culture um and we bring it in we do in my leadership team meetings we start with um, a moment of um optimism so it's uh what are you thankful for like, so we pause, you know, when we take 10 minutes and go around and talk about what we're thankful for.
0: And it's amazing.
1: It puts you in a very different mindset than starting with an agenda of all the
0: things that we have to get done. So this is incredible, right? You're saying some really impactful and powerful things that I'm actually taking down. And I have to ask you this question, right? Because you talked a lot in the prior answer about the, being your authentic self, just being able to be comfortable with who you are and, and contribute successfully to the environment and the role that you're functioning in. And then you also said something there in the, the next answer when we talked about Dr. Michael Gervais, it was about the advices that you got along the way that you, you kept with you and you still remember. And you also talked a little bit about, you know, starting off with a little bit of optimism around what you're thankful for. And so I feel, this is what I'm, I'm, I'm getting just from a leadership perspective, is that you have this impeccable balance of being confident and humble at the same time, just by talking about those two things am i right and, and where does it come from
1: um you know i i don't know if i'm i, I do think like confidence matters um and you know i know um that's it i've never been asked this question before i'm trying to think um or even be described that way you know i think i'm grateful i'm grateful for the the role that i get to play at microsoft i'm incredibly grateful that i'm a mother and a wife and i have um friends that are just you know i have this fantastic network and um you know if and so i i I don't know about humble but i wake up every day grateful um and and i think that um you know i think that is something that i've learned over time that you know it's you know kind of goes back to your mindset um if you're grateful for what you have for you versus you know you're you wake up in the morning and you're like oh I've got four hundred meetings today and you know, I got get the kids here and I you know, I I gotta figure out what's for dinner tonight. Like that that's a very different mindset than waking up and being like, I, I get to do a I have a pretty cool job and I have these amazing kids that I get to take care of and be part of their lives and wow, you know, I, I get to choose, you know, you know, what fabulous thing we're gonna eat for dinner tonight. Like it's just a different way of thinking and um it's,
0: uh, I, you know, I, I try really hard to be grateful for what I have in my life. Yeah, it's, it's really that mindset. Thank, thank you for that answer. I know it's a little bit of an interesting question, right? It's just in terms of, you know, what I listen to and how I, I digest everything that you're saying across all the stories you tell, I had to ask that. Tell me a little bit about your journey, or right? How do you continue to stay focused? Is there a philosophy or a mission that you continuously apply for you to continue to stay focused?
1: Well, so I would say two things on that. One, um, back to Dr. Mike, um, one of the things that he taught us was, you know, sort of understanding your personal philosophy, which is this notion of, like, you know, sort of what is the human being that you want to be? You know, like, what, what motivates you, if you will? Um, and, you know, again, this was a long time ago, but, there, you know, sort of knowing your personal philosophy and what matters to you, I think, is something that really helps with being grateful and being centered. Um and so that, I think, is a great, uh, you know, it's a great thing to, you know, if people know that practice. It's, it's worth taking the time of, like, really understanding, like, what matters to you um, and what is a personal philosophy that you can hold true. Um, you know, and mine hasn't changed in years and years, and it's something that, you know, still guides me. Um, and, you know, so I think there's there's that aspect of it. And then the newest thing that um, I've really, really come to appreciate is this notion of recovery, um, because, you know, I would say, like, I believed in recovery, but it was in big chunks, right? Like, I would sort of say, like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to travel and, you know, I could do all this stuff. Like, I, you know, you might have guessed this. I I have a, um, you know, I had probably my, what does my husband call it? He's like, you have, you have a skewed sense of, like, time almost. Because I'm like, I could do everything. And he's like, you can't do everything. Um, you could do some things. But you know, because that's my natural inclination is to want to do everything, um, what I've learned is, is that you can't do everything and then wait until you're about to drop to recover. Like recovery comes in small pieces along the way. And that's something I've learned recently with particularly in the pandemic of just how much I appreciate, um, you know, I'll scoot out at lunch and go for a run. I'll have 15 minutes on my calendar and I'll check in with the boys and spend 15 minutes with them on whatever they're playing or, you know, doing school work. And those little things matter um, in a way that I never appreciated um, before the pandemic of, you know, I, my calendar used to run from seven to seven. And I, you know, I barely had bathroom breaks and I'd always be eating like from, you know, be like eating my lunches. I'm going into the next meeting. And um and the the little the little sprints of recovery just it makes it not seem like a slog it allows me to feel more optimistic um you know actually you know stepping out and having lunch like i said seeing the kids going for a run i actually am more productive because i don't feel so drained
0: thank, thank you for sharing that right and you know just uh, sticking to your journey a little bit just in terms of you know how you continue to lead people and make an impact across the organization you're responsible for an incredibly large amount of people, customers, partners, and an overall business across the globe for one of the largest technology companies in the world. I can only appreciate the amount of uh, thought processes that go through some of the decisions you have you have to make on a regular basis that impact multiple people. Um, but from a leadership and people impact perspective, you know, leading a group of leaders in a large organization is one thing, but how do you encourage and deploy and adopt and and impact uh, thinking or some of those lessons that you've talked about from being authentic, being yourself, embracing self-care, you know, ensuring that you're taking a break regularly and you're consistent with that. How do you apply that to the team and ensure that they're consistent with that as well?
1: It's, you know, I think it's something that's, um, you know, we're working really hard at. And it's difficult like it's you know it's hard to say to somebody like you know take take lunch off you know when they've got deadlines and things looming over their head and so you know the best way i have found and i would say you know we're not there yet but is to model the way i talk about this like i talk about the fact like you know i showed up um to the u.s subsidiary all hands in running clothes and, you know, I thought, you know, Ashley was going to die. But I was like, well, I had, I had one slot to fit in a run. And, you know, and she always looks, you know, sort of perfect. And she was, you know, beautifully dressed. And I'm like in a ponytail. And I was sort of like, you know, trying to hide the the running shirt underneath. But, but those, like, I hope that people see that and know, like, I'm prioritizing with everything that we have going on. And, you know, to my earlier point, like, I'm scared shitless every day in the jobs that you know, we have some big things that we've got to do across biz apps industries still emerging data and AI is you know massively important and growing business for us so we've got a lot to do um but I still prioritize um you know things that um that help me recover and, and stay optimistic and and not get not get drained and even like in Takeshi's LT meetings like well um, like Jared now, uh, who runs Modern Work, my peer running Modern Work, he'll go for in our sessions, like he'll take a session and, and walk and he'll show us like on the camera that he's out walking. And, you know, we're, we're all trying to do this. We're all trying to say, like, it can't be an, an, a never ending grind. Like we have to think about our health and and support one another. And, you know, I think each of us modeling that way is the best way to do it. And it's not just me. Like, I want everybody to model the way I want. We do it my all hands. We'll talk about, you know, what people do to recover. And um, one of my team members, she knits during meetings to stay focused. So she doesn't, you know, she doesn't lose focus and try and multitask too much. And so celebrating those things and learning from one another is, is something we're trying to do.
0: Yeah, no, look, I love the story about the running clothes, by the way. You know, I get to participate in some of these all hands calls as well. And I get to really appreciate the fun and the authenticity that you bring on a frequent basis to these calls. Uh, back again to the journey, right? You know, large responsibility. Uh, I, once again, I can only appreciate the amount of thoughts that, and analysis that has to go into the decisions that you have to make at your level. Uh, if you were to highlight one of the big failures that you've had in your leadership journey. What would that be? And how did you overcome that?
1: Yeah, this one will never leave me. Um, so I was running the uh, the D- the DX team for the US. It was the m lead role um, I had just made partner. So I had two very young children. Um, so I had a one and a two year old and um, And I had a big team and a big charter and it was right when we had um, announced Windows 8 and so the developer division was responsible for getting the applications into the marketplace. And we had this crazy target, it was something like 28,000 applications in less than eight months that we had to get into the marketplace from the US alone. And, you know, back to my like, I signed us up. I was like, we're all in. And, you know, Windows 8 was not um, a platform that people were gravitating to, developers in particular. And I would say there's two things that I will never forget out of that experience, because um, one was I was like, this is our goal. Like, we have to we have to get our goal done. And you know, we brainstormed and we did some funky things like, you know, we did contests and, you know, you know it was creative of like what would motivate developers to do this. And, um, and it was all in sort of the spirit of like, we got to go get this target done and we're going to figure out the way to do it. And, um, and so that metric was dependent on the U S subsidiary making sub of the year. Uh, and, you know, by God, we made it. We did twelve, you know, twenty-eight thousand and one apps in the marketplace, and we were at uh, MGX in Las Vegas. And Kevin Turner announced the sub of the year, and it was the U.S. And I'll never forget, like my the woman I worked for at the time, she was the head of the M and organization. You know, we all were ecstatic, and we're like, oh my God! And you know, it was just sort of publicly acknowledged that the reason that we clicked over to winning that was the one metric that we took from bright, bright red to, and nobody thought we could do it, to green. And so I had a team dinner that night, and I walk in and I've got a glass of champagne, and I'm like, oh my God, we did it. And I looked out at a sea of people, um, and I will never forget this, of people that just were overworked, didn't believe in what we were doing. Um, Like they were sort of like, didn't really care. Like it didn't motivate that that we man- made some of the, the year because like we I hadn't brought that team along with like it was just this grind of like we're going to do it every day. We're going to figure it out. And, um, and I'll never forget. I put that glass of champagne down and I thought I never want to be this kind of leader because we got the goal and nobody there was no parade. Right. Like there was I was it was me and nobody was with me. Um, And I was like, that is the worst thing I could possibly ever do, Um, which is I jammed a agenda on a team and they never believed in the mission. They didn't believe in what we were doing and they weren't motivated by a subsidiary winning an award. They were motivated because they were marketers and they marketed to developers and they wanted to inspire developers, not pay them to do applications, which is effectively the contests and things that we did. and so that was you know i sort of marked that moment i was like i will never ever do that again and it's sort of the goal at what cost that was the lesson i've learned and the cost was too high it was the cost of the people and their trust and um, their belief in the company and that's not the goal wasn't worth it
0: wow wow that's that's what i have to say to that like i mean it's so easy and I'm, I'm sure you see this more often as well, like with leaders to just say, you know, well, we want the thing, let's move yeah. forward, right? Yeah. But it takes like real character to actually recognize what is more important than the result and the metric that was achieved right and so yeah I have to say wow that's an incredible story thank you so much for sharing that I could spend a lot of time talking to you because you have so much of quality and so many cool stories to share <laughs> uh, long long I'm going to ask him my last question and that's going to be like long 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 from now you know when the journey is over what is the type of leader that you want to be remembered for
1: it's a great great question and you know you know I hope at the end of this journey um, people will uh, look back and, and know that I, I was an authentic leader uh, and one that want, cared deeply about the teams um, and the culture that we had. I really want people to come to work and feel motivated by the mission that we have and the work that we do. Um, and I want to be known as somebody that you know has an impact in the market um, and that made a difference for our customers and for our partners and for the market at large.
0: I have no doubt that you will. I want to say uh, good luck and all the best and thank you so much. I love learning from you on a regular basis. I love the fact that you took the opportunity to do this. Uh, It was a great conversation, so much of quality and some really cool stories that you've shared. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for doing this.
1: Uh, Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Absolutely.